Our text this morning is coming from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And as you are turning in your Bibles uh, or flipping on your phones uh, to that passage, I would like to tell a story. There was uh, an atheist, an evangelical, and a Muslim sitting on a plane. This sounds like the start of a really good dad joke. And I love a good dad joke. But it's a true story. I know this because I was that evangelical. So <clears throat> I served as a missionary in West Africa for two years. And um, at the start of my missionary journey, I flew from Charlotte uh, to Paris, France, and then down to Senegal, West Africa. And on the flight from uh, Charlotte across the Atlantic, the eight-ish hours, however long it took us to fly across, I had the joy and privilege to have the middle seat with a French atheist on my right and a Muslim businessman on my left. There were a lot of interesting conversations on that flight. Uh, as is common when you are traveling on such long journeys, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And you have all of those wonderful things. And so at some point in there, I said, I'm a missionary. I'm going down to, uh, to Senegal, uh, West Africa. So Paris is not my final stop. Well, the atheist, she proceeded to tell me how missionaries were terrible people and how um, they changed cultures and they ruined cultures. And they went on about that. And then somewhere in there, she made the comment that, and God doesn't exist and everything else. And then it was really cool because um, the evangelical and the Muslim teamed up against the atheist. There is a God. And so and when I say teamed up, it was he made his arguments, I made my arguments, and then she uh, made her counter arguments. And so we went back and forth for a while. And then at some point, the conversation flipped and then it was the atheist and the Muslim against the 23-year-old evangelical about the, the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And at the age of 23, just graduated college, I was grossly unprepared to handle that conversation. So <clears throat> it was really interesting. I wish I could remember exactly how it went. Um, but if I could go back today and sit on that plane between both of them again, I would love to do that. I am more grounded now in the person and work of Jesus Christ than I was then. And our text this morning, we are looking at the first three verses of Hebrews. And this is so rich about who Jesus is. I would love to sit back on that plane and just kind of talk through all of this with them, because this answers all sides of that conversation that we had. And so our text this morning comes from Hebrews, and um, we've got a lot to cover. I told Denton I would be sure to finish before 6 p.m. when church at, uh, tonight starts. I've got an intermission planned. We'll, we'll break for lunch and then come back. Um, but, uh, but we will get started. Um, the author of Hebrews and I'm going to say the author of Hebrews because there is, some people say Paul, some people say others, so it's not ultimately known. So I'm just going to say the author of Hebrews. So if you wonder, why is he not saying Paul? It's because we don't really know who wrote this. Um, you can read up on all the arguments uh, later. But Hebrews chapter 1, 
Verse 1, the author writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are here this morning in your presence because of your Son. I pray that you would speak through me and that your Son would be magnified and glorified. God, that you would give us a deeper understanding, a deeper love, and a deeper worship of what you have done and who your Son is. God, meet with us now and be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Long ago, God spoke. That should get us to stop right here. God spoke. That is an amazing statement. God actually speaks. God did not create the world, set everything in motion, and then walk away and have nothing to do with it anymore. But God created the world and spoke. He talked to his creation. He interacted with his creation. And that right there should cause us to worship God, that God did not abandon his creation, but spoke. And we have our Bibles, which is the word of God. God speaks, and that is profound, and that is truly awesome. And what's even more amazing is that God didn't just speak once. He didn't just speak twice, but at many times, God spoke. All throughout human history, God spoke. From the dawn of time, he spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Cain, even the bad guy Cain who killed his brother. God spoke to him. God spoke to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God spoke, and God spoke in many ways. God audibly spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And depending on how you interpret the text, God may, him, may very well have appeared to Abraham and Jacob, depending on which way you lean um, as you handle those texts. But God also spoke through visions. He gave visions to Joseph. And all of this is just in Genesis. If we keep going throughout the Old Testament over and over and over again, God speaks at many times and in many ways, God speaks. Read the Old Testament and you will see God interacting again and again and again. And we could stop here and just worship this morning with that because that is a profound, amazing truth that our God speaks. Now, the author is a Jew, the author of Hebrews, and he is writing to Jews. 
Hence, we call it Hebrews. And um, so he says, God spoke to our fathers. And that is another amazing statement. He is writing to his readers, and they are the children of the ones who received the audible commands, the visual commands, uh, the promises. God spoke to our fathers. That is an amazing statement that they can trace their history back to the people that God spoke to. God chose a people to be his people. God chose a people to receive his blessings. God chose his people to be set apart from the rest of the world. And the author is writing to these people saying, God spoke to our fathers. And that is astounding to be able to make that claim No other people can make that claim. God didn't speak to the Native Americans here in the the Americas or the New World um, at the time that he's speaking to uh, the Jews. God didn't speak to those in Asia at the same time that he is speaking to the Jews. So the fact that he can point to their history, their lineage, and say, God spoke to our fathers That should catch everyone's attention. And then we notice, and this may be a little subtle, but God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God didn't just simply speak to every single person. Hey, you're a Jew. Everybody hears God's voice. No, God spoke through specific individuals. These prophets heard the voice of God. They saw the visions of God. They received the commands of God. And then these prophets, what made them prophets is that they would stand up and say to the people of Israel, thus says Yahweh, our God is speaking. We must listen. We must turn from our ways. We must repent. We must do this. We must go here. The prophets spoke. And that is cool that God spoke. God raised people up to carry his message. Message of hope, message of warning, message of condemnation. But God spoke. And so as the author is moving through this, he's letting his readers know God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then he has the most amazing word, but. And this is huge. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. So not long ago, but now, in these last days, he has spoken to us. So it's not that God spoke, it's that God speaks. And he spoke to us in these last days, not by a prophet, not by some man that God raised up, not by a judge that God raised up to deliver us, but God spoke to us by his son. Think about that. God sent his son into the world to speak to his people. That is amazing. This world, as we sung about And we, as we went through our liturgies this morning, reading the scriptures, reading together, we see this world is hostile to God. This world rebelled against God. 
in the Garden of Eden, mankind said, our fathers, our forefathers, Adam, Eve, they said, we don't want God's wisdom. We want our own. We don't want God to rule over us. We want to rule over ourselves. And so all of mankind has been rebelling against God, rejecting God, spitting on him, cursing him, mocking him, and God sends his son into this rebellious world. Who does that? What king sends his son into hostile territory to talk peace, to bring peace? Did King George send his son to the, to the American colonies that were rebelling to say, hey, let's talk this out. Let's bring you back in. No, he sent troops. He sent troops to wage war, to subdue and force everybody down. Abraham Lincoln, when the South was saying, we want to separate, we want to secede, we want to rule and govern ourselves, did Abraham Lincoln send his own son into hostile territory to try to make peace? No, we went to war. We went to war and killed ourselves. But God sent his son into a hostile world that hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. And God, being rich in mercy, sent his son to speak. Now the question we ask is, who is this son? Who is he? Well, the author tells us, his son whom he appointed the heir of all things. This wasn't just any son of God. This was his heir. All things are going to him. All things are for him. In ancient times when we had kings and kingdoms, you have the first in line for the throne is the heir of all things. They get all the power. They get all the land. They get all the possessions. And then you have subsequent all the way on down to 20th in line to the throne. And so if you're going to send a son into hostile territory, you're going to send a lesser son. You're going to send somebody who's not the heir because this guy, he's going to get all the power. He's staying next to me where it's safe. You, eh, you're far enough down the totem pole. If you die, it'll be sad, but you know what? The line won't be affected. So um, no, God sends his heir into the world, the heir of all things, all things that he is going to have. He sends him into the world, but not just that. He wasn't just an heir through whom he also he created the world. This son, yes, is the heir of all things, but all things were created through him. And that is amazing. All things that we see, all things that we have, each and every one of you in here was created through the son, was created through Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him 
was not anything made that was made. You were made through the Son. I wonder how that conversation on the plane would have gone if I had thought to say to the atheist and to the Muslim, you were created through Jesus. How would they have handled that? What would they have done with that? It's not just that he's the Son of God. It's not just that he is a great man, but you were created through him. Everything was created through him. Everything was created for him because he is the heir of all things. All things are from him and through him and to him. This is the son that God sent into the world to speak. More and more, it is becoming very obvious and evident that our world is going through an identity crisis. We have identity politics. We have identity language. You have to use these terms and those terms, and you can't use these terms and and those other ones. People are looking for identity. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. And sadly, they're looking in everything that is meaningless. The, The preacher Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The, the Hebrew word that um, many of our translations translate as van- vanity actually is translated vapor. Vapor of vapors. Everything is vapor. It's just this mist that disappears. And now we've got people that actually vape. Um, so we have people that are vapors. And I, and I say this because it always, it, it, it's always astounded me that I've seen people smoke. I've been around people that smoke. But there is something that is very different about an e-cigarette's smoke when you puff it out. It's just like this big cloud that's like, boom, that comes out. And it's, for me, it's always shocking because it comes out of my peripheral vision. I'm like, whoa, oh, okay. And then just like that, it's gone. It's like this big, obvious cloud comes out and then it's gone. And that's what Solomon is saying everything is like. Life is like that. We try to hold on to things. We try to create identity. We try to create meaning. We try to create purpose. And then it just disappears. So we've got to recreate identity. We've got to recreate purpose. We've got to recreate meaning. And then that, too, disappears. Our world is lost. They are in the darkness trying to find their way. And I don't know if you have ever been in a really, really dark place, but no matter how long you look, no matter how long you stare, your eyes will never adjust and you can't see your hand in front of your face. So the world is in darkness, groping around, trying to find meaning, trying to find its way, and it can't find it because it rejects the one through whom they were created. It rejects the one for whom they were created. They don't want Christ. They don't want the Son. And yet, He is their only hope of identity, their only hope of meaning. The author continues, He is the radiance of the glory of God. 
he is the radiance of the glory of God. He's not like the radiance of the glory of God. He's not reflecting the radiance. He's not mirroring the radiance. He is the radiance of the glory of God. If you have ever been outside on a dark night when the moon is full, the moonlight shines down so much that you don't need a flashlight to walk around. Adam and I went out one night um, several months ago uh, to go stargazing, and um, he had his flashlight. I was like, hey, man, turn that off. He turned it off. Our eyes took a moment to adjust, but then we could walk around in the field, no problem. We could see just as well, maybe not just as well, but we could see pretty well, almost like it was daylight out there. But that moon has no light of its own. That moon is reflecting the light of the sun. That moon is just a reflector. Looking through my telescope, I can see Jupiter. I can see the moons floating around Jupiter. I can see Saturn and its rings, but they don't have light of their own. They're just reflecting the light of the sun. It would be really foolish of me to say, the moon is the sun. Jupiter is the sun. And everybody would say, Aaron, you're stupid. You're smoking something. I don't know. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. But that is not Christ. Christ is not like the moon reflecting the glory of God. He is the radiance of God. But not just that. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Who can be said? Who of all everything that was created is the exact imprint of his nature. No one. Mankind, in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God, but we are not his exact imprint. We are not an exact copy of him. We are like him, but we are not him. My dad's uh, funeral uh, in uh, 2020, um, some members of a church that my dad planted in North Carolina drove all the way out to Texas. And um, after the service, we were at my mom's house, and I was walking by, and uh, one of the men, Cody, he said, Aaron, come here, sit with us, talk to us. So I sat down and just kind of looked, like, okay, what, what do you want me to say? He says, I don't really have anything in mind. I just want to hear you talk. You sound exactly like your dad. I sound exactly like him, which is great because when I was a kid, I sounded exactly like my mom. That was embarrassing. But, <laughs> um, but now I sound exactly like my dad. I reflect my dad. I have mannerisms like my dad sometimes really uncanny, and you can ask Lindsay. She's nodding her head over here. There are times I even catch myself and go, whoa, that, that was, where is my dad? But <clears throat> I am not his exact imprint of his nature. I don't, I am not his exact radiance. No, I am separate. I'm in his image, yes. There is no one that is the exact imprint of God. Which of the prophets of old that spoke God's word did God share his glory with? 
None. The priests, they would intercede on behalf of the people. They would mediate. We sung the song, there is only one mediator. The priests would stand between God and the people, and they would intercede for the people for their sins. Which of the priests did God share his radiance with? None. Which of the kings that ruled over Israel did God share his glory with? None. In John 1, 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jehovah's Witnesses will translate the Greek and say, that's wrong. It is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, is what they say. But who does God share his glory with? No one. There is not a single other God, which are all made up, by the way, spoiler alert, but there's not a single other God that God shares his glory with. None. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It couldn't be a God because God doesn't share his glory with anyone. The word that was in the beginning was God. Here we see the sun is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And as hard as it is to believe, the sun is God. And that is what we see on display here in just a simple little phrase. This is the Son, the heir of all things, through whom all things were made and is the radiance of God's glory, is the exact imprint of God's nature, is God himself. And he stepped out of heaven but not just that, he upholds the universe by the word of his power, the word that was in the beginning, through whom all things were made, for whom all things were made, upholds everything today. You exist today because you were made through the sun. You exist right now in this moment because the sun upholds you by the word of his power. And what a power it is. Colossians 1.17, Paul continues on in the very next verse. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John 18, Jesus is in the garden, and Judas Iscariot is bringing the mob to arrest Jesus, and they come up, and in verse 4, we read, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus said, I am. I am God. I am him. And just with that one statement, they couldn't even stand in his presence. The son has all power 
and all authority to the point where in that moment, he could have put an end to everything. He could have stopped it all in its tracks right then and there. He could have said, nope, I am not going to let you torture me. I am not going to suffer at your hands. I am going to shut you down and we're going to move on. But he didn't. He didn't. So what did the son do? Well, the author writes, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He didn't save himself. He made purification for sins. We have spent the last many weeks talking about the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You got two different sermons on that one. Um, and I will let you go back and listen to those. Um, so they go into a lot more depth than we have time to go into here, but I will sum it up in this way. We have rebelled against God. We were made in his image. We were made for his glory. We were made to live in a relationship with God, and we rebelled against him. We are his enemies. And God, being rich in mercy, sent his son, his only son, the heir of all things, through whom all things were made, for whom all things were made. We were made for him, and we hate him. And yet he still sent his son. And his son lived the life that we could never live. His son lived a life without rebelling against God, without rejecting God. His son took on flesh, became a man, was fully man, yet without sin, without rebellion, without disobedience. The son accomplished what we could never accomplished. And then he died the death that we could never die. He went to the cross, suffered for us. Scripture says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Christ took our punishment we read in Romans, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. God's wrath is being poured out onto this world, and the Son came and stepped in front of that. If the, you're standing at the base of the Hoover Dam, and the Hoover Dam breaks apart, and you have this massive ton of water careening down on you. What hope do you have of living? None. It will crush you. The wrath of God is far worse than that. It's far greater than that. And the Son drank that for us. The Son took that for us. But then, after he made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't keep him. Death couldn't contain him. The son conquered death. 
He wiped sin away. He made purifications for sin. He died, and then he rose again, and then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. The son lived the life that we could never live, died the death that we could never live, and then reigns on high, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. All things are his now. And he has the power over life and death. And so in him, we have newness of life. He has all authority. So where do we go from here? If you are here and you can say that I believe in the Son of God, if you are here and you say, I believe that he came, that he lived, that he died for my sins, if you believe that, praise God. What do you do with that now? So often we read through theology as rich as this and as beautiful as this, and then we say, that's great, and then we move on about with our lives. So what do we do with that now? For starters, this should cause us to worship God. I was talking to, to Robert earlier this week, and, and he reminded me, proper theology leads to proper doxology. So having the right view of God leads us to worshiping God in a right way. And honestly, I kind of wish we could have flipped everything around this morning. We could have preached through this first and then gone through the liturgy and all the songs that we sang. How about you do that again, Robert? We'll just come back up and just do it all over again. But everything that we sung, we's reflected right here in these three verses that we worship the Son, for what he has done for us. We have one mediator. By God's grace, what an amazing thing. So this truth, this reality, should cause us to rejoice more and worship God more, but it shouldn't just end there. That worship should infect every aspect of our lives. We worship God more, we worship the Son more by worshiping ourselves less. Stop worshiping your own time. Stop worshiping your own entertainment. Stop worshiping your own rights, your own privileges. Stop worshiping money. Stop worshiping a career. Stop worshiping your family. Worship the Son. He is why you exist. And if you have proper worship of the Son, then you will properly love your wife. You will properly love your husband. You will properly love your kids. You will properly love your parents. You will properly labor at your work, not more than you should, 
but not less than you should. You will properly worship in a school system that teaches you to worship other things other than God. You will properly stand against the fiery darts of the devil as he flings them at you. Stand firm in this reality that God speaks. We have a God who speaks. There is a God and he speaks and he has spoken to us through his son. Yes, that was 2,000 years ago, but we have his words written down and recorded for us that we can read, we can meditate on this, we can absorb this into our lives and live this out. God still speaks to us through his son, and that son is all powerful. There is no fear anymore. We don't have to fear what our coworkers think. We don't have to fear what our family members think when we talk to them about the son. We don't have to fear what the atheist on our right and the Muslim on our left have to say about the son because he, it is finished. He is seated at the right hand of God. He has accomplished everything. So we can boldly live out our lives for the glory of God. We can boldly serve the Lord in every aspect of our lives. We can gladly die to ourselves and live for the son because he died for us and he lives. And so we can die to ourselves and live for him on a daily basis. Understanding this, believing this, meditating on this, this should drive us to live out our lives differently than we ever have before. And the world should look at us and say, what is different about you? How is it that you can be so calm in the midst of all this chaos? How is it that you are so confident in who you are? Because I know the one who made me. I know the one for whom I am made. And he is alive and he reigns. And we have confidence. So what do we do with this? If you believe this truth, then live out your life differently than you have. Live out your life for the glory of the Son. Now, if you are here this morning and you don't know the Son, and you can say, I don't believe in Jesus. I've never trusted in him. I've never believed that he was the Son of God. I've never believed that he really was anything more than just, you know, a wise man sowing chaos here and there, um, like the atheist, like the Muslim man. Yeah, he existed, but he isn't everything that you say. If that is you, if you don't know the son on an intimate, personal level, then I plead with you this morning, know him. Repent. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't need to prove your worth to God. You don't need to prove that, hey, I can get my life right, so now that my life is pretty good, now I can come to you. No, we are his enemies, and God sent his son in spite of the fact that we are his enemies. So we can turn to him for our identity. We can turn to him for our hope. So I plead with you this morning, if you don't know the son, know him. 
give your life over to him because you were made for him. You were made through him. And he is alive and he reigns and he is the ultimate authority in this world. Nothing else matters. It is all vapor. The only sure anchor that we have in this life is Christ. Nothing else. Everything else that we tie ourselves to will float away and sink in the storms of life that come. Only Christ will stand because he is seated at the right hand and all authority is his. Cast your hope on him. Turn your life over to him because he is good. I want to read one last thing and it is a testimony and this is my testimony, and I know that this is the testimony of many of you in this room. So if you do not know the Son, hear this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ, my Savior and my God. May this be your testimony. Do not leave here this morning without this being your testimony, without being able to sing this truly and mean it. Let's pray.